dude loving your um your interview with mr daniel jones uh, other world immersion is is a brilliant phrase uh, obviously he's a writer because he uh, takes a writer to coin that to come up with that it's it's because it's exactly what we're all trying to do and um and yeah i love when the conversation veered into questions of about art i know we've talked about that in the past so um yeah just um just great catching up again with with podcasts great actually getting back into podcasting again after you know my my uh season break so to speak but um yeah i'm i'm hoping we can carry on conversations across whatever channels and mediums and and fluids all right mate take care if you say the real life ends up your days and you don't have time to play well midlife is the best time to start a new My name is Che Webster, and this is Roleplay Rescue. Hello, rescuers, and welcome to this, the final episode of Season 6. And I didn't expect to be saying that. Thank you also, at the top of the show, to Andy Goodman of Expedition to the Grizzly Peaks for calling in on today's topic, really. Those who've been listening through the last few months will have heard many, many interviews, but no interview has had quite the response as the one with Daniel Jones on the topic of Otherworld Immersion. And so today I have chosen to grab just a few of the calls that I've had on this topic and string them together. But before I do that, I have an announcement in the words of Mr Bilbo Baggins. This is the end of season six. There will almost certainly be a season seven. I already have two more interviews I'd still like to share with you and many thoughts on how I'd like to take things forward. But having had a discussion over the last few weeks with the patrons on patreon.com slash RPG Rescue and having thought about it at length and having really agonized over this, I have to say that I'm going to shift the frequency of Roleplay Rescue back to its original format back at season one all the way through really until the end of season two which was one episode per week on a saturday now i'm guessing that some of you especially the fans of the dungeon master's diary will be wondering how on earth i can do such a thing and maintain the consistency of what i've been doing so i think the only answer i have is i'm gonna have to put out one episode a week And um, that means we're going to have essentially a bi-weekly Dungeon Master's Diary and a bi-weekly other episode. It is the only way that I can sustain this show going forward. And it is with a heavy heart in lots of ways that I make this announcement. But you know what? Truth is, I'd rather keep doing what I'm doing in a joyful way and in a way that I can manage, especially now that we are pushing back to school increasingly full-time and especially as I am trying very hard in my life to bring 
sanity back after what has been many, many months of, frankly, insanity. So I hope that you will bear with me and that I pray that you won't abandon me. And in the end, I guess, the proof of the pudding will be in the eating in season seven. I'm probably going to take a week or so out, just like skip a weekend, uh, as I usually do when I shift between seasons, just to get my breath. And I'm hoping that uh, an early episode in season seven will be sharing with you an interview with the self-same Andy Goodman who headed the show, because it's being edited right now by Minion Bravo from Minions and Musings. And a big thank you to Evil Jeff and Minion Bravo for making that possible. So, without any further ado, I'm going to dive into the call-ins on the subject of Daniel Jones's Otherworld Immersion, and yeah, we'll try and respond to them as best I can as I go through. So, here we go. This is Season 6, Episode 13. Wow, that seems like quite a uh, triskaidekaphobic moment. Season 6, Episode 13, the Season 6 Finale. Jay, it's Arlen Walker. Um, I really loved your interview with um, Daniel Jones. It was super, there was a ton of stuff in it that I thought was fascinating, stuff that I wanted to kind of comment on or even just express my support. So I'm going to listen through it again and just call in every time there's something like that. And, uh, have sort of the the running Arlen Walker commentary and you can feel free to use as much or as little of my call-ins as you uh, decide for your uh, future episodes. Um, I, I, I figure it's as much as anything about letting you know what I liked and what I agree with and supporting your uh, kind of ideas um, as actually getting Collins on the show. So, an intriguing first call in from Arlen Walker from live from Pelham's Wasteland. And I'm so grateful for this. Now, what you guys don't know yet, until I tell you now, is that Arlen has made no fewer than 23 call ins, 23 minutes of call ins on the subject of Daniel James's episode in the interview we're discussing Otherworld Immersion. So, Am I going to share all that? No, I'm not going to share all of that in one go. Not least because there's a lot of really rich and great stuff there. But I'm very fortunate because I shared the first seven minutes of those call-ins with Daniel. And he has very graciously shared back a five or so minute reply to Arlen. And so I thought what I would do is play the seven minutes, first seven minutes, first seven call-ins from Arlen and Daniel's reply before we dive further into the remaining call-ins I wanted to share today. So I hope you'll bear with me and I hope that Daniel's reply provides a satisfactory answer for Arlen. Thank you, Arlen Walker, for all of those call-ins. I will promise you I will find a way of responding to as many as I can.
All right. So I'm just at the part where you and Daniel are talking about um, primeval fantasy and specifically Daniel's talking about um, pre-modern or non-modern or anti-modern kind of setting and material and RPG gaming. And uh, so I wanted to say, A, um, there's definitely at least one gamer who is really interested in that because I am I am definitely interested in that. And I agree that um, most of certainly the big fantasy settings feel to me much more like a, a setting with the trappings of a, a medieval or an ancient world. They get sort of the the image right, but that the actual feel definitely isn't there. The the mindset, the mentality, the uh, the philosophy yeah. isn't that of a real pre modern civilization. Um, and there are a couple of I think obvious reasons for that. To me, um, one I would associate strongly with it is that a lot of fantasy uh magic i think is systematized and feels to me very um newtonian that uh, i think it fits in with our concept of the scientific method much better than it fits with a um real understanding of how those the people in pre-modern times not as a monolith, but as their own very different um, cultures and and um, belief systems would have seen something like magic, that they would have thought about it very differently. And even in a sort of, um, well, that by comparison, an, an authentically medieval worldview would be kind of uh, about magic would um, use Aristotle's categories or it would be neoplatonic or something like that, that it wouldn't um, feel like this invention from much, much later and that has become a sort of guiding principle of the modern world, um, that it ought to feel much more like a, a something that would be represented in the, the philosophy and the belief system and the theories of the, the people who would be experiencing it. Um, and there's some other things too. I think there's also an element of the kind of uh, tourist attraction thing going on, sort of like the, the idea of like a, a fake old West town and they have people who are dressed kind of funny and they carry fake guns. And everybody gets to sort of see what that world looks like without really um, having to live in it. And of course that's really antithetical to deep immersion in the world. Um, but I think there are a lot of people who, who like that. And that's to me, that's sort of a, not an unfortunate, not unfortunate that they like it, but unfortunate if they haven't had the opportunity to go deeper, to go into something more um, authentic and experience something that is um, both, I think a more alien world and a more real one, um, especially if it is um, constructed along historical patterns and stuff like that. Um, my kind of final thought on this is that in some ways, it seems to me that this reaching back to pre-modernity is itself a sort of essential feature of 
modernity. Certainly, um, most of my knowledge about it comes within the realm of art. But um, Picasso, for instance, saw the the Lascaux cave paintings, and that was essential to him coming up with the idea of of cubism as art. And Ezra Pound translates the Seafarer, the the old English poem. Um, and in ABC of Reading, he says explicitly, this is so that the modern English reader without any extra knowledge can read what is the very beginning of poetry in English. And that that's important to him and important to the people around him, you know, T.S. Eliot and William Butler Yeats and uh, D.H. Lawrence and um, H.D. and all of those sort of crew. But that to me speaks to the idea that there's almost this kind of like dialectical composition to modernity, that it is dependent upon a certain looking back towards pre-modernity. And even if you wanted to get um, really kind of uh, pejorative about it, you could say that it is a uh, a plundering of pre-modernity for its riches um, that is often um, – very, very complicated in, in the sense that there's uh, – I don't think it entirely goes one way. But but what I'm, what I'm getting at is I would be – I hope that you have Daniel back on the show again sometime and you can ask him sort of about these ideas or that you have some thoughts on them because this is something that sort of came up to me that um, there is something about this looking backwards that is essential to the modern looking forwards um, that the almost as if the, the kind of hyper progressive uh, viewpoint of the contemporary world sort of cannot depend upon itself without a concern for the past. And that's probably, um, I mean that's that's very self-serving as somebody with a history degree, um, but I think it's something important uh, to to discuss and to think about. Hey, Arlen, uh, liked hearing your thoughts on the subject. Uh, it's great to find gamers with uh, similar goals in role-playing games. Uh, like Che and I talked about, I used to think that the goals of otherworld immersion um, into this consciously pre-modern, uh, primeval fantasy world were incredibly rare. But um, like I said, I've been seeing that this is really not the case. It's not that niche. It's not that rare. Uh, and yeah, um, a big part of me um, is that I don't want to feel like the worlds we're entering are just uh, Ren Fairs or uh, LARP Fests. I want to, uh, as much as possible, enter realms uh, like Beleriand or Middle-Earth um, where people possess those worldviews and that psychological makeup of a very different realm. So uh, I think fashioning this fantasy subgenre, uh, which I call primeval uh, setting, has been a long-term goal for me uh, in gaming and in novel writing. 
Uh, I'd say it requires a mix of uh, reading history and historical fiction, uh, philosophy, and you know, lots of fantasy and fiction through the ages. Um, and that's the bedrock. And then on top of that, we just have imagination and conjecture. Um, and from, from that, we can build this very different world. Uh, like I said with Che, I, I'm not interested in recreating any particular era uh, from our own history. I just want to use certain um, parts as touchstones and recreate uh, only the feeling that comes from mythology, uh, comes from living in a world that never uh, went through the Enlightenment or anything like it. Uh, and yeah, like you uh, mentioned, the uh, supernatural is probably the largest element that needs to be changed if we're pursuing this specific goal. Uh, we've been largely habituated uh, in our game uh, and role-playing through, through the years uh, to treating magic just like any other tool or weapon, and that's the opposite of what we want for this goal. People um, often quote Arthur Clarke with... Um, his quote about any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. And I think that's true of the sci-fi genre, but it's false of the fantasy genre, or at least my desired subgenre. it's false. I think it might cash out as true in games um, like D&D because it's so common and controllable and codified. All the mystery was just stripped out of it. Um, and so that that's not the feeling we want at all. In my world, uh, magic is extremely rare um, and everyone connects any such manifestation of power with spirits or gods or demons. and. They react um, ironically in a lot of the ways that we in our world, even though we're materialistic and atheistic people, uh, if we were to see a, a real miracle, a real supernatural event, that is, if we're all sitting around a coffee shop and I start using the force or start levitating or something and you're sitting right there and there's no strings or wires or props, You've just observed the impossible happen, and your reaction would would not be casual uh, at all. And that's the direction we want um, for fantasy worlds. Um, so the way that we run everything in these worlds and, and the way we run the characters, uh, and importantly, how we present information to the players is significant. Um, in in my system, for example, no players, uh, not even spellcasters, are allowed to see any of the mechanics uh, of casting or anything magic-related. Uh, it all filters through the GM's description during the sessions. And I hide a lot of mechanics like that because it uh, strengthens mystery and therefore the other world immersion that we're after. 
So yeah, uh, actually, Che and I have already had a long follow-up conversation um, about this big topic, and I'm not sure how he's going to um, edit those and present them out, um, but Che and I are definitely on the same page regarding gaming goals and appetites, uh, and I'm really glad to hear from other gamers who have the same um, appetite we do. Uh, I'm on Twitter, by the way. Uh, it's just Primeval Fantasy RPG, and uh, if you if you are on there, connect with me. But yeah, good talking to you. And that felt like a pretty significant moment in the history of Roleplay Rescue to me, where a guest and a caller connected on the show, and I was just a middleman. Thank you, Arlen, and thank you, Daniel, so much for calling and replying to that and. Um, I'm really hoping I can, like, really fingers crossed here, sitting here like this, really hoping that uh, I've shared uh, Arlen's further call-ins and I'm hoping maybe Daniel will pick up the baton and maybe, you know, call in again and share his thoughts because I think that dialogue is really, really valuable. So now what? Well, I've got a number of calls actually to add, but I'm just going to string together uh, three or four, uh, which are broadly just kind of commenting on different people's take from what they heard, and then I'm going to call it a day. Here we go. Hey, Che, Evil Jeff. Great interview with Dan Jones on the immersive uh, experience. And he hit on something at the towards the very end of the interview that it really resonated with me about those pre-game conversations. You know, say, hey, this is what the world is like. And I enjoy that. I think that is how I really approach all my characters. Tell me what this world is like. So when I create this character, it acts in a way that is natural for the world, not something that's anachronistic or something that's just not within the realm of what we want. You know, I would love to play Paranoia that way, but everybody that wants to play it, you know, wants it to devolve into how fastly can we kill other people. Eh, it's not what I want. Good interview. Later. Hi, Che. It's Barney. I just wanted to say that I really enjoyed your interview with Daniel Jones. I thought you both spoke very eloquently and covered all sorts of really fascinating things. The The thing for me is that Daniel's position is basically completely the opposite to mine. So it was really fascinating experience and a really nice one like I say very eloquent and articulate in in kind of really helpful in thinking how I approach it all or how I see this uh, the hobby and so the whole diversity of viewpoints is fascinating thank you ever so much I'm going to have to listen to it again at least once bye Hey, Jay, just finished listening to your one episode with Daniel Jones. Very interesting episode. Um, yeah, it was it was kind of, it was, it was thought-provoking. I can't say I agreed with everything, but why would I or why should I or anything like that? But I thought it did bring up a lot of questions or, or, or uh, had me thinking more about my own philosophy about things and um, my approach. And uh, I think it, it was, it's interesting. And uh, yeah, no, I, I appreciate the the, uh, the episode. I thought it was really good between you and uh, Daniel. 
So you've been, and I got to say, say, Che, you do a fantastic job with your interview. So well done, man. Well done. Hey, Che, Jason here. Just listen to your interview with Daniel on Otherworldly Immersion. Roleplay Rescue 611. Very interesting. I, I do wonder, and, and you guys didn't get into it, but the kind of system that would help, I understand what you're saying about methodologies, but so when you talk about mechanics, the mechanisms that you're using, you, you know, obviously that's going to take a big part of it because if you're, if you just talk through the character creation, but the GM controls the mechanics and the GM has the character sheets, so the players don't see that, and then the GM's going to do the roles, you're putting a lot on the GM, right? So at that point, the players are sitting there, nothing in front of them at all. The GM's doing all the mechanics. I'm down with that. I think that'd be an interesting way to play. But at that point, you know, especially for a group new to this, do you go with a, I know it's a bad word, but do you go with a lighter system? It's easier for the GM to juggle all that. Because if we go into a system that does the kind of things we're talking about, be it burning wheel with the knobs turned up or the riddle of steel or one of its offshoots or you know one of these crunchier systems or even GURPS with um, hit locations enabled and all that so that way you can describe yeah you you were hitting the left arm your left arm hurts you know that kind of thing so once you turn up these knobs now the GM has a lot of balls to juggle in the air as they play which as you've alluded to in your latest damn diary means you probably want to play one-on-one or one-on-two or much smaller groups but I'm curious the idea with what kind of system obviously you could do this probably with any system you know if the group agreed to it and your mindsets were there but what system is ideal for this a lighter one a heavier one what's the balance there interesting thoughts on that so I hope that's not too difficult of a question so before I get into answering the question from Jason there I just wanted to say first of all a massive thank you to all the callers today to Andy Goodman at the top of the show and obviously to Arlen and then wonderful calls there from Evil Jeff, Barney from Ludus, and Tim Shorts from Gothridge Manor and I just can't express how much I am grateful for those and of course thank you to Jason Connolly from Nerds RPG Variety Cast, the last caller there with what is the most pertinent question I think which is how exactly do you do this thing? And you're quite right, Jason, that actually the more load you put on the GM in terms of managing the mechanisms of play and the more that you try to bring that behind the screen, there is challenge there for many, many sets of rules around. And that's because those sets of rules have been written with an entirely different way of thinking in mind. And that's what Daniel, I think, is trying to get out of the heart of this. That first and foremost, there has to be a dialogue between your players and a GM about what you're after and getting on the same page with what Otherworld Immersion actually means. And on top of that, a real thought about how you're going to play. It's not enough to have a rule book. You have to be thinking about how do I play this game? And it's the thing we don't talk about enough and it's the thing that I feel, yeah, I've got to talk more about. And that question really just wonderfully sets me up for Season 7 because... I've got, as Daniel alluded to in his response to Arlen earlier, I've got another, I don't know, hour or so chatting to Daniel to share with you all. And then I'm also making this journey myself. And I I think there is just so much more to talk about. So I'm going to leave it there. I'm going to park this question there. And I'm hoping that partly Daniel will answer that when I talk to him about the methodology, which is our second instalment. 
but also that as we go forward we'll be able to create the answers to these questions about how we achieve other world immersion now for the pl listeners out there who are worried that i am now delving into a rabbit hole that they don't want to go down please don't worry i'm still playing savage world on friday nights i'm playing webster's Han with gerps and i'm going to keep talking about the breadth of the role-playing experience because that's what i'm about on here and if you haven't figured that out well i'm telling you that's what i'm about on here remember I want to create a community of discovery in which people can feel accepted for who they are and the way they play. And I hope you'll come on that journey with me. And that's it for season six. I hope that you've enjoyed today's call-in show and I hope they've enjoyed the season. It's been very strange. We had the kind of onset of COVID-19's pandemic and we've been through what I think is about something like 10 to 12 weeks of episodes, most of which have been interviews. And it's been, yeah, not what I expected at all. So I hope that you enjoyed it. And if you did, great. If you didn't, I'm I'm sorry. <laughs> it just is so hard right now to find the time and the space and the energy to create. Um, but I keep going, I keep going at it. And that's the reason for dialing things back down to where they started at season one it's about providing me with that weekly outlet for my thoughts and my ideas which you have all been so generous to share with me and and for which i am immensely grateful and i just wanted to say thank you to everybody who's listened to all the episodes so far and even if you're new to roleplay rescue thank you for taking the time to listen today Thank you to all of the Roleplay Rescue patrons who support the show. I just couldn't do this without you. And thank you especially to my callers today, all of you. And especially thank you to Daniel, who took the time to call in and reply personally to Arlen. That is an unprecedented and amazing thing. And on that note, I'm going to go. I hope to see you in a week or two. And I uh, hope you won't mind me dialing things back down to a weekly show. And until then, this has been Season 6 of Roleplay Rescue. Game on.